Hello and welcome to a very special episode of Mash Mouth, celebrating the 50th anniversary of Mash's premiere episode and Mash Mouth's first birthday. I'm Vanessa. And I'm Ethan. Ethan, okay, so let's address the fact that my voice still isn't fully back because I blew it out at a concert. Um, So I'm so sorry to our listeners, but also it's the 50th anniversary of Mash's first episode. How crazy is that? That is crazy. I was thinking the other day how everything we've seen of MASH so far has been all before Jaws and Star Wars came out. Oh Think my about god. That. <laughs> oh my we've god, I never even thought about that. Isn't that a weird way to like keep track of time? Like, we're watching things that happened before such landmark things like Star Wars and Jaws. America did not know the meaning of a blockbuster yet. That is crazy. I literally never, that thought never even crossed my mind. Wow. That's insane. Mm -hmm. My mind is literally blown right now. (laughs) That's so crazy. And to make things like weirder is right. The show started like five years before Star Wars' premiere in 1977. And the show ended the year that Return of the Jedi came out. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> That's like weird. That's such some weird Inception meta stuff going on there. That That's crazy. I thought of that a while ago, and I've been like trying to figure out how to bring it up into an episode <laughs> since. And talking about the 50th anniversary of MASH, to put that into context of like what 50 years actually means, it felt like the perfect time. Yeah, that's truly... Truly, truly crazy. I love the fact that we're still talking about MASH today. And Ethan, you said that um, your grandmother had sent you an article about MASH. So do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yes. So a while ago, my grandmother lives in a completely different state than I do. But we do occasionally talk on the phone. And a while ago, I told her that I was doing this podcast with you. We're doing a MASH podcast. And she was like, oh, it's great. Your grandfather loved MASH. There's a lot of like meat on that bone to like actually talk about, which is Mm -hmm. true. It's a show with like a lot that you could discuss as we've discovered over our year of doing this show. And the other day she sent me mail with like one thing that was like actually important and a newspaper clipping about MASH's 50th anniversary uh, with a small interview from Alan Alda. It was like fun to read. I won't go into like big details because it's it's you know it's just a newspaper like article. It's not super interesting, but the section with Alan Alda I thought was very cool where he says like, "Yeah, we talk to each other a lot, the remaining cast members. They email each other, and apparently pre-pandemic they all tried to get uh dinner with each other like once a year." So that's Aww. so fun. That's so sweet. I love the fact that the cast still keeps in touch and is still close with each other. Like, I think that I sent you, um, I think it was a TikTok that Alan Alda did, and he was doing it with um, the actor who plays BJ. And it was this hysterical TikTok. I loved it. Um, if I can oh, find man. it, I will link it to our social medias. I'll post it. I don't think I watched that. I'm not big on the the TikTok scene. I'll have to I'll have to check that out. <laughs> it was great. Um. Also, speaking of like something that's a little bit more, I guess, grounded in reality. My mom and my sister recently went to Washington D.C. for um like a week long trip that they were doing. And they went to um, a lot of museums and they went to the Korean War Memorial Museum. 
And they sent me pictures and the pictures were absolutely amazing. And they brought me back this poster from the museum that is actually going to be hanging where I record for Mashmouth. So it's like this really, it's this really cool, beautiful museum. And the poster is just like so nice. And yeah, I just, I, I love the fact that I can like have this constant reminder that this show that I love so much it was grounded in reality. Like this really happened. And yeah, I just, I love history. No, that's great. I love that. Um, since we've been doing this show a year, uh, have you told anybody about this show and have they had any like fun responses? Well, I ha- I, I don't think many of my friends know, but my, <laughs> my uh, boyfriend, he didn't know what MASH was. Um, he just knew that I was really obsessed with it. And then I... Um, I showed him the episode with uh, Margaret getting really drunk and he thought it was really funny. It was the first time he had ever been introduced to MASH. Um, And he would like never watch the episodes, but he would listen to the episodes of the podcast. So I'm like, why are you doing this? But yeah, so he got introduced to it. (laughs) That's funny. Uh, Shout out to my friend Jacob, who we shout out in every episode. Yeah. (laughs) But he is our, our first actual fan of the show. He, I think, listens to every episode and will just uh, text me random things that I, like, say in the podcast with, like, no context. And I always (laughs) find it so funny because it takes my brain, like, much longer than it should should to figure (laughs) out, uh, like, what he's actually referencing. And I I love it. I love doing the show. I love that we get to just kind of geek out to each other and have uh, some friends around us like actually listen to it as well. It's pretty fun. Yeah, and I think that um, one of our favorite things also in the course of a year doing this show is growing our audience and getting the feedback from our listeners is just so rewarding. I know we've talked about it in um, past episodes, but we have um, listeners who write in periodically. Some like our number one fan, Joe, he writes in all the time. And it's just so great to hear that we can like share this this collective TV show that's so old but still kind of like going on. And I I love that. I love it so much. Mm-hmm. It's great. There's so many like Instagram fan accounts that like follow us that are Hawkeye and Radar like related. It's yes, it's so funny yes. to me. Anyway, do you want to start talking about like what this episode's supposed to be like centered on? <laughs> yes, absolutely. We're not going to just be gushing about MASH for 30 minutes. We actually have something we're going to be talking about, which is this 30th anniversary special that um, was aired on Fox at the 30-year anniversary of MASH's, I think it was their premiere episode, and... It was this great like little retrospective with the cast and the original writers and it was this really amazing insight on the production of the show and the filming of the show and where the stories kind of came from and I can't tell people where we watched it because we may have watched it through less than legal means but <laughs> you that can makes find it, sound it so much sketchier than it <laughs> you can find it on youtube we can't link it but you can find it on youtube <laughs> yes uh no it's really cool um i don't know if i can talk about this now but the the version we watched had like commercials in the the like taping that weren't edited out and it was so funny 
to watch this thing from 2002 with these very 2002 ads. Like, there was an ad for, like, the finale of The X-Files and, like, The Simpsons finale and all this stuff. And, like, how Wendy's has salad now. I'm like, oh, my God, (laughs) that is the most 2002 uh, commercial that I could ever picture in my life. (laughs) Yeah, it was honestly great. It was very, it was very nostalgic and very funny. Just, like, the whole recording was great. Um, But, again, go find it on YouTube. We won't yeah. be linking it, but go find it. It's worth the watch for <laughs> sure. So that's what we're going to be talking about in this episode. So I wanted to get right into it. And they talked to the cast and then also um, Larry Gelbart and Gene Reynolds. And they talked about kind of the inception of the show and pre-production and stuff like that. So Ethan, did anything about that particular part about their writing and the inception of the show kind of stand out to you? Well, first of all, I have to say that seeing all the cast together 30 years later, obviously it's been 20 years after that now, but seeing everybody together and they're all like older, but they all like look good. It's so funny yeah. to me because when I, when I started watching MASH long before we started this podcast, I was, uh, I was charmed by Alan Alda as Hawkeye <laughs> so much that for a while I was like, oh, I don't want to know what this like young handsome guy looks like as an old man these days so i didn't google alan all that all and i feel bad (laughs) for that because he's he's holding up man even in his like 80s he looks fine um (laughs) but anyway uh this part was super interesting uh because they talk about how like mash was born out of like fox wanting to do a war show and Mm -hmm. then the movie came out And they decided to make their war show based off of, like, the MASH movie rather than the movie was really successful. Let's make a TV show out of it. They always wanted to do something about the war, which even uh, one of the producers, it might have been Larry Gelbart or Gene Reynolds saying, like, that felt kind of distasteful because it was, like, right in the, the height of the Korean War. But the like movies showed them that they could do it. And I was I thought that part was really interesting. Yeah, I thought that it was really cool that they had said the best thing that they inherited from the movie was the characters. And I think that that really holds true because these characters were these like touchstones in the book and the movie and stuff like that. And they kind of came to life and like became their full characters from this show and i think that the character driven aspect of the show makes it so so good as well as the storylines of course um which we'll get into a little bit later but yeah i think that it was just really interesting that they were like okay we can work with these characters and we can put them in like a really interesting spot and i liked that a lot yeah and i have to shout out mr larry gelbart absolute legend He, at one point, was talking to one of the cast members. It might have been Father Mulcahy, I'm not sure. This is the one, like, line that I took note of. And, you know, somebody receives, like, the script for it, and uh, they say, like, oh, I never heard of Larry Gelbart. And Larry Gelbart shoots back, like, oh, well, you never heard about who wrote the Bible, either. (laughs) What's funny, um, in this section, too, um, speaking of William Christopher, who plays Father Mulcahy, they said that he improvised his entire audition for the role of Father right, Mulcahy, which insane. is so funny. I didn't know that. That's amazing. And then later on, this is a part of the show that we have not gone to yet and I have not seen, but apparently it becomes like a running gag in the show where 
People, like, on set, like, in the MASH TV show will do impressions of Father Mulcahy, (laughs) and I think that's the funniest thing I've ever seen. Just doing his, like, little lilt that he does. Like, that's how you know they're, like, really friends, if they're, like, incorporating impressions of the guy in the show. I love it. That is, I think, one of my favorite episodes of MASH in its entirety. (laughs) I love that episode that they showed. I can't wait. One thing I do want to note is um, I knew this going in, but it was really funny to have it reiterated that because they were on the soundstage or because they were on location, like, you know, outside and whatnot, it was so cold the day that they were filming the first episode. And I knew that I knew that there were times when it was really, really cold on the set of MASH, but I didn't know that it was really cold the first day that they had recorded and if you remember they were all in like summer clothes yeah like hawaiian shirts and whatnot that was fantastic and then one thing that really got me about this little section was about gene reynolds and larry gilbart's writing process and that they said that they didn't really feel like they hit their stride with mash until sometimes you hear the bullet and that was episode 17 so i really think that that kind of accounts for why the first half of season two was so like hard hitting like that episode because they were kind of building off of that momentum. Um, So I thought that that was like really interesting insight for like the stuff that we've covered already in season two. Yeah, no, it was super interesting to hear them talk about the political kind of commentary that the show would do and how they never considered it to be a sitcom. It was a show. We've been saying this for like a year but it is kind of neat to hear like the uh you know the people who made the show actually talk about it cuz i've never i don't think i've ever seen larry gelbart before today i know he has like a an imdb profile picture but i had no idea what like the man sounded like so it was very cool to watch this and have them like actually go into like yeah we uh we did a lot of things and they're not wrong they did a lot of things with nash <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Um, It's a quote a little bit later on. I forget who said it, but they said, we never considered it a sitcom. It was always just MASH. And I thought that, that was just so, such a perfect encapsulation of the show. Like, mm-hmm. it is funny, but it's not this sitcom that you would think of as like a normal sitcom. It's just so uniquely MASH that I, I loved that. I loved that so much. And they do talk about how like when they're writing the first season, Apparently they got a bunch of like freelance writers to like write episodes and the scripts that they would send in were like your standard like wacky shenanigans on a military base Mm kind of gags and they're like oh we're not doing that Uh, which I love how they they already kind of knew what they wanted to be when they're like in the earliest stages of like writing this whole thing but Moving on from that, I want to talk a little bit about the kind of like character retrospective that they've done, uh, because it made me realize that we're still so early on in the show. Yeah. Uh, I have literally never seen an episode with BJ in my life, so I had no idea who like half of these people were. And it's so funny with uh, Trapper slash BJ, how they go into that relationship um i've only seen the era of the show that is like the weird era before they got like the real main guy in 
This is still like the prototype kind of before the guy who takes on the show for like two thirds of it. That I wanted to ask you too. Um, did you feel like excited to get to these characters who were in it for sometimes like more of the show than the original characters were? Yes, I do want to know uh, like who BJ is. He seems like an interesting guy. Like the guy who played him, uh, forgive me, I don't know his name, was talking about how meaningful the role is to him. And he's like, yeah. To this day, there's still a little part of me that is BJ. And that's so interesting to me that it's, like, such an important, like, part of his life that, like, he's not the replacement. He's, like, the guy. He he becomes a real main character in a way that, like, a lot of these, like, well, we have to sub in the actor who left don't tend to get to do. So I'm so interested to see all of these, like, continuing roles. Like, even, uh... I don't know who Colonel Potter is. I have no idea who that man is. I'm excited to see episodes with him. We had my man who voiced Jumba in Lilo and Stitch. (laughs) Uh, I forget his name. David Stairs. Yes. I'm excited to see him. Uh, We have a a bright future ahead of us. It kind of reinvigorated me to continue this show because I really just want to see how the show changes over time. Yeah, and one thing I wanted to note from um, this section where they talk about the characters, and we'll get into like what they said about the characters that we have actually met in a minute, but um, I thought it was really interesting that the ratings kind of dropped off and then they came back up both times that um, new characters were introduced. So I, I thought it was like a really sweet story that um, David Ogden Stairs had said about Mike Farrell, who plays BJ. He said that he was so worried that the ratings were tanking because he was on the show. He's like, I don't want to I don't want to be the reason that MASH gets canceled. And Mike Farrell Mm -hmm. was like, don't worry, it happened with me, too. Like, they'll come back to us because they'll realize that we are the best out there. And I love that because it went on for several more seasons after he took over. And yeah, I just I I can't wait to get to those episodes. And I think that you'll really, really enjoy them as well. Yeah, it's so interesting because obviously other shows have had like main characters leave and have stuff like shaken up before. But normally that happens like towards the end of the show's run, not in what is relatively still the beginning. So like, yeah, having those like ratings tank and then come back is kind of unusual Because usually when that happens, it's like, oh, well, the ratings tank. Nobody likes these new guys. We're just going to end the show at like season five instead of continuing on for, you know, half a decade longer. (laughs) Um, And you've always said you like the show more when BJ shows up. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, I want to know how that is because I love Trapper so much that like not seeing Trapper and Henry is going to be such a jarring shift for me that it's going to be so much fun to talk about because I'm going to actually get to explore these characters for the first time like people did in the 1970s. (laughs) That's so fun. Yeah, I'm really excited for that. But speaking of Trapper as well, um, I want to get into the characters like because they did they went through each and every character that was a main character on the show. And I loved that. I thought that it was really, really funny. Um, This one story that Wayne Rogers and Alan Aldo were telling was that they would redo the scenes together 
to figure out what they could do better next time, even though like they weren't refilming, they were just redoing them together. And I thought that that was so cool that they were like, they were dedicated to the show and these characters. And I loved that. Which is insane. The idea of actors like caring that much that they redo their whole scene after it's like been printed on film. Like that's how you know they like were in this. Uh, And they even make a joke about how after Wayne Rogers leaves the show, he would come back and redo scenes that (laughs) that they just did, uh, which is great. Because especially when characters like leave the show or whatever, you're always like, oh, no, was there bad blood? Do they not like each other anymore? But having like jokes like that, granted, it's been 30 years since the show uh, started at the time of them filming this. So, you know, they had time to like, work out their differences if there were any but it was so funny to have them like joke around like that it'd be like yeah even after i left i was still in the show (laughs) i thought that it was also really funny um when they were talking about hawkeye because this is the first character that they talked about of course because he's you know the main character of the show um i thought that it was great when they were talking about how alan alda kind of just was hawkeye uh, I think it was Larry Gelbart said that he did not have to give Alan Alda stage direction basically at all in the first four years of them doing this show because he just kind of became Hawkeye. He didn't think about it. He was, mm-hmm. even though he said he was very, very different from the character himself, especially in the early seasons, he just fell into the role. And I, I loved that because you can see that authenticity on screen when Alan Alda is playing Hawkeye. It was so funny to hear uh, Alan Alda talk about how he was uncomfortable with being a womanizer. Because uh, we always joke about how he's a feminist king. But I <laughs> guess he is if he was like, I don't know if I want to be this, uh, which is great. And how he, he talks about how when people would ask him about Hawkeye, he wouldn't answer them because he doesn't want to uh, yeah. think about the role analytically. And I'm like, oh, that's so great. I, I know that so many actors are so like, willing to talk about literally every part of the acting process that he's like no if i intellectualize it i won't be able to do it as well i'll be thinking about how i'm doing it which is great i love that yeah i really liked that too i um so one thing also that i wanted to talk about was henry's character and i really liked um i think larry gelbart said it maybe it was one of one of the writers said it that he wanted henry's character to be the character that was opening a door funny instead of opening a funny door, which I thought was just like the perfect embodiment of Henry's character. I love that when they cut to the interview with uh, McLean Stevenson, he's like sitting on a golf course or something. Like it was really funny to see. But uh, yeah, I love how much like reverence they still gave to Henry. And uh, this is big spoilers for like where we're actually at in the show. But having them talk about uh, Henry's death and how impactful it was, it made me legitimately sad of like, oh, yeah, that is coming. Uh, Fun fact for anybody listening to this show. I watched the first three seasons or so, got to the finale where Henry doesn't make it back home. And it hit me so hard that I was like, well, I can never watch this show again. And I didn't until we started doing this show now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Another thing about uh, McLean Stevenson playing 
Henry that I thought was so sweet was that he always wanted reassurance that he was doing a good job. And I thought that that was so sweet that he was like, was this okay? Like, was Mm -hmm. this what Henry would do? Like, all that kind of stuff. And I, I really liked that. I thought throughout this whole thing with all the characters, I felt like their dedication to the roles was so palpable when they were talking about it. And you would tell that they had so much fun, like just Mm -hmm. a ton of fun doing this show. Like uh, Loretta Swit, I think, says, of course, they're close to each other. They were huddled in the cold for, you know, 11 years together. So everybody who's on a TV show always says like, oh, we're like a family. But I feel like if you're on a TV show 50 years ago, and you apparently do still email and, like, go to dinner together. Like, you really did forge a bond with each other. <laughs> that was another thing that I was uh, thinking about, too, was when they were talking about the first season and how, like, poorly they were treated, basically, on set because they were, like, they had no budget for the show and they were in, like, really grueling conditions. Um, It built, like, the camaraderie between the cast of, like, it made their on-screen chemistry better because they had to, like, bear the elements with each other. And I thought that that was very, so very funny. funny. <laughs> the fact that the the security guy that Alan Alda talks about didn't recognize him for, like, four <laughs> years is hilarious. <laughs> I loved that. That was so funny. <laughs> um, Speaking also of Margaret, I thought that it was fantastic. So they had interviews with um Larry Linville as well. And he said that the scenes that he did with Loretta Swit, they had to like bite their tongues so hard. He said that their mouths were like chewed up and raw at the end of filming because they were trying not to laugh because they would have to say like the most ridiculous stuff to each other. And I thought that that was so funny because we have mentioned in episodes like, oh my God, like they're talking like so stupid to each other. And the fact that they were also, like, (laughs) having to bite their tongues to not laugh at how ridiculous their characters were being was so funny to me. And it makes those scenes so much better. (laughs) I love seeing Larry Linville here. Just how different he clearly is from Frank Burns and talking about how, like, dumb and weird Frank Burns is. (laughs) It was so... It was so great. I I loved it, truly. This is a really fun special. I'm not going to lie. It's definitely worth watching. I had so much fun watching this special. And with Frank, everybody said about Larry Linville that he was the complete opposite of Frank, which I thought was great. And you brought this up recently in an episode that people would ask Larry Linville why Frank didn't get better. And he's like, well, he couldn't be better. That would just make him Hawkeye. And I thought, Mm -hmm. I like that Larry Linville just like knew that he had to play this like snotty guy. And that's what he did. And he did it so graciously. And the writers were like, we're shortchanging Larry Linville because he's such an asshole in this show, but he does it so well. I I loved hearing like everybody talk, even, uh, Gary Berghoff was talking about how when he did the movie, he didn't know how to do like ESP, how to like hear the helicopters. And he was like, oh, well, if, uh, you know, if he's short sighted, he'll uh, he'll develop super hearing. So that's why he wears glasses. <laughs> I never thought of that. Like, oh, well, he's a bat. So he has sonar rating, <laughs> sonar hearing. <laughs> that was really funny. I also liked how... um. Gary Berghoff was like, yeah, I chose all the costume. Like, he was a big part of the costume design for Radar, too, because, like, he wanted him to have this specific look because that's how he played him. And I thought that that was really, really interesting. On the note about uh, Gary Berghoff, too, 
the outtakes that he did with Alan Alda that they featured in the special were so funny. It was hysterical. <laughs> I was on the floor just dying. <laughs> yeah, because there's a whole bit about how he had to take his pants off um, <laughs> and he just like couldn't do it. He, ke- he kept looking over at Alan Alda trying to give his line and just bursting into laughter for like a full day. And I would do that. If I was on set and had to be like comedically naked, I would not be able to handle myself. <laughs> no, I know. And um, I can't wait till we get to that episode because like that's all I'm going to think of now. <laughs> <laughs> Just all the takes that, the, that didn't work. <laughs> One thing I also really liked about uh, the interview with Loretta Swit and about Margaret was that Loretta Swit played her like so self-aware too that... Like, all the aspects of Margaret's character that um, that I really like about how the army was her life and how she was really trying to, like, live up to the expectations of her father and stuff like that. Like, she knew that and that's how she played her, especially in later seasons. And mm-hmm. I really, really enjoyed that. And then Mike Farrell also said how Loretta Swit and Margaret were, like, this perfect combination of so many things of, like, intelligence and, like, sexuality and stuff like that. And I just, I loved that. I loved that. Even though, like, she was very much, like, objectified in the first, like, early seasons, her character is still, like, part of it. Like, she is still the main cast and, like, she has nuance and, like, all the good Mm -hmm. things that the male actors bring, she also brought. And I I just really, really appreciated that, of course. Yeah, we've seen Margaret kind of uh, already be given a little more depth, but as the show goes on, I am very much excited to see kind of... Loretta Swift take more control of the character, make her less of like the dumb, naggy broad that she was. <laughs> uh, so very excited for that. Uh, do you want to move on from this, though, and start talking about something a little more serious? Because they do interview several people who like worked in real life MASH units. And I thought that was really interesting. What did you think of it? I really liked this section of the special because you got the sense that the writers just had to do so much research for these episodes and that I think Larry Gelbart and um, Gene Reynolds, they went to Korea where there was still American units while they were writing the show and they brought back just like tons of transcripts and a lot of just like the pieces of the transcripts turned into whole episodes or like lines into Mm -hmm. episodes or just pieces of episodes. And I thought that that was so amazing. And one particular uh, story stuck out to me so much. There was a MASH unit nurse, Carmela Hicks, and she said that she had pictures of her time in Korea of the MASH unit. And people she would show people and she said that people were would tell her, oh my God, this looks exactly like the show. And I'm pretty sure that they showed the pictures. And mm-hmm. I literally couldn't tell if it was from the show or if it was the pictures that she was talking about. It was insane. And a lot of people who were there in Korea in the MASH unit said that the show and the OR scenes and just the chaos was so real and that it was uncanny how real it was. And I was like, wow, that really put it into perspective for me that they were setting out to accomplish something with this show and clearly they accomplished it. It's something that's very uh, authentic. And I I really thought the section was very cool. 
Because when it said, when the, like, commercial announcer guy is like, Oh, don't go anywhere. I'll be right back. We'll have more stories after the break. Or more war stories after the break. You know, I thought that'd just be more stories about, like, making the show, like, jokingly calling them war stories. But when the section was, like, legitimate interviews with, like, legitimate veterans, I was like, oh, this is a tone shift, but I'm here for it. But yeah, it was so interesting to hear them talk about the show being uh, more authentic than something like this would be. That it kind of portrayed something real and kind of gave legitimate catharsis to uh, people who had experience of this. I think even, I think it was Alan Alda or maybe a guy who played Trapper talked about how, you know, you always get fan mail saying like, oh, I love the show. It's so funny, blah, blah, blah. But they would get uh, fan mail saying like, hey, I love this show. This show means a lot to me. Like what you did in this comedy program was so like meaningful for me uh, to see this experience like on screen. That's so cool to hear. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that um, there was a field medic in the Korean War. His name is Harold Selly. And he said that MASH really enabled people back home to understand what the medical staff was going through. And I absolutely, I loved that. And like I said, I think that they were trying to do that and they clearly were able to do it. Mm -hmm. One thing from this segment that I thought was actually like really, it was really funny because of like our discussion on it previously, but there was the unexploded shell inside of the patient. Right, I was going to bring this up. That was real. I was so blown away by this. Like, obviously like very serious very scary that it was a real situation but i was laughing because we were so we were so sure that this was like completely fake and how could they do this and stuff like that and i thought that it was so interesting that the man who was talking about it his name was eric larson and he was a surgeon and it was so much like the episode like his friend of the unit and also their commanding officer scrubbed up and they did it in they did the surgery where they took out the unexploded shell from the soldier in an isolated part of the camp and stuff like that and that was so true to like real life and the episode and it was just amazing to hear okay so i i kind of forget this because it's been a while since we recorded that episode but in our defense of it being like weird of that like moment feeling strange in real life, I think it was, like, more of, like, an actual, like, wound in, like, the torso where this bomb, like, was. But in the show, it was kind of insinuated to be, like, in his, like, lower back. And we were, like, confused of how that, like, happened, like, process-wise. Not mm-hmm. really that the grenade was stuck in him. I don't think either of us were like, grenades can't get stuck in people. But no, uh, we, yeah. were, I, uh, we were. We <laughs> were not okay. to not to blow the cover off of your um <laughs> off of your defense of us. But we were like, do grenades really get stuck in people, or do like unexploded shells get stuck in people? And we were like, I don't know about that, but apparently they do. And apparently, according to this man's story, apparently it was somewhat of a common occurrence, which is absolutely so insane and so scary to think about. Like uh, this just put so much perspective of like really what the medical staff was going through and having to save these lives and like as much as mash is like reality and we enjoy the show for its fictitious aspects and you know it's commentary and stuff like that this kind of opened my eyes so much of like wow like put it back into perspective of like these were like real people doing these real things and i loved it 
So do you have anything else that really like stands out to you about this part? Not really. We've kind of covered it. I wanted to talk about the grenade thing, but then you brought that up. And then, well, I'm like, <laughs> okay, oops, feel bad about that one. But after this, they talk about their favorite episodes. And this covered a lot of stuff that I haven't seen ever, like more conceptual stuff that they do later on in the show. Like, apparently they do an episode that's entirely from the POV of, like, a guy in the hospital table. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that sounds insane. Like, if you did that today, that would still be insane. The fact that they did that in, like, the 1980s at the latest is, like, crazy to me. And I can't wait to get to that episode. Did any of these episode discussions kind of stick out to you as someone more familiar with the long run of the show? Yes. So um, I, of course, remembered all of these specific episodes that they were talking about. I don't want to get too much into it because like, I think that we'll discuss them when we get to it. But I just really liked how the cast was so happy to be part of this new and innovative way to tell stories because all of this, all of the episodes that they had really liked that they cited as their favorite episodes were really innovative for like TV episodes. And like you said, I don't think that a lot of this stuff would even be done so much today, like having like an in-person like interview with an actual news anchor. That was crazy too. Yeah, it's like super, it's super innovative, I want to say. Like I keep coming back to that word because that is what it was and they were still getting the point of the story across and the characters were still in character and stuff like that and I really liked how everybody just seemed very happy to just be a part of that and change TV for the better and change storytelling on TV for the better. I I, I keep saying it but I just I love this special so much. <laughs> I'm so glad that you enjoyed it uh, but yeah it was super cool to hear them talk about how they become more conceptual with the show as it goes on. Uh, and how doing these like creative episodes where like they're pushing the format like kind of reinvigorated everyone to be like okay we're making like good interesting tv even though we've been on for like call it nine years we're still doing something new and like that's so cool a lot of shows today like try to do these like cool concept episodes but they don't like necessarily earn it because just so many shows don't have this kind of like runtime and space to do that but the idea of like these guys coming in a decade into the show still being excited to do these new interesting episodes is like really cool to me i am so excited to see that interview episode that they talked about and it was so funny that they were like we don't know if america's gonna go for this they might all run to their tv sets and see if uh they're accidentally on black and white set or like whatever (laughs) uh it's so funny that like that was a legitimate concern for them yeah i know i loved that it just kind of showed the sign of the times a little bit and i thought that was very cute (laughs) so now of course like we're at the end and mike farrell he didn't really like host it but he did the intro and the outro for Mm -hmm. the special and he said something that really just stuck with me he said MASH may have ended in 1983, but the children and grandchildren of our original audience have seen to it that the show has taken on a life of its own. And that's so true, especially like with what we do on MASH Mouth of just like, sorry, (laughs) it caught in my throat, of deconstructing each episode and just going through it meticulously and just enjoying it and whatnot. And we're so young, like we would have never seen obviously the first era of the show, but it's like weird to get 
sentimental over the show, but it's just nice to know mm-hmm. that it's had an impact on several generations. And it is so cool, uh, not to turn this into something about ourselves, but it is so cool to do this show and to see that there are other people who actually still care about MASH pretty deeply. Like when yeah. we started this, and we still do this purely as a hobby. We've made no money doing this so <laughs> far. Uh, but when we, we started doing this, it's entirely for ourselves. We were like, yeah, four people are going to listen. And we don't have like crazy numbers, but we have more than four people. And that's so exciting to me that like there are people out there like want to hear people talk about MASH and they stumble onto our dumb show doing it. <laughs> <laughs> and like we said at the top, it was like the people who message us and we can just share in this love of this show and it's like transgenerational because I still talk about this show with my mom when my grandmother was alive I talked about with her all the time your grandmother sent you that newspaper clipping about the show like she knows it it's such a fun thing and Mm -hmm. I'm so glad that everybody likes to celebrate when MASH hits those milestones of like the 50th anniversary and stuff like that so thank you so much for being here to spend MASH Mouth's first birthday and also the 50th anniversary we love it yes Thank you all so much for listening. It's so fun. And happy birthday, MASH. You're 50. That's crazy. <laughs> We're going to hit the North Korea 100 years ago from the first episode. Not too far from now. That's kind of weird. Yeah. That's that's crazy. <laughs> I think that we've I think that we've like hit hit it to like we beat it to death and <laughs> that we love MASH. <laughs> so just to wrap up. We'd like to give thanks to Jacob Ferribalco for being our technical consultant, Melissa, my sister, for cover art, and of course, our listeners. We've always, (laughs) we've went on about it for enough time now. (laughs) Our music, social media, and contacts for the show are linked in the description, as always. And join us next week for another episode of Mash Mouth. Goodbye, farewell, and amen. Bye, everyone.